Psalm 119. Man, I am so enjoying this overview of Psalm 119. And honestly, it's been very difficult to preach these eight verse sections. Like last week, we could take a couple of weeks on each verse. And this week, it's the same. This, this text is just fantastic. So look with me. Psalm 119. I can't believe that after this, we only have three Sundays left in Psalm 119. But uh, look with me in verse 145. <clears throat> Psalm 119 and verse 145. I cried with my whole... Now, now, again, always look for our ten words. You know, the word, commandments, statutes, precepts. And uh, also look for the repetition of words in these eight verses. I cried with my whole heart because I'm going to ask you. All right? I cried with my whole heart. Hear me, O Lord. I will keep thy statutes. I cried unto thee, save me, and I shall keep thy testimonies. I prevented the dawning of the morning and cried. I I hoped in thy word. Mine eyes prevent the night watches that I might meditate in thy word. Hear my voice according unto thy loving kindness, O Lord. Quicken me according to thy judgment. They draw near that follow after mischief. They are far from thy law. Thou art near, O Lord, and all thy commandments are truth. Concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. Lord, will you please help us as we study this section of Psalm 119 today? And I believe that it is so uh, poignant for many people right now. And if not now, it will be in the future. So, Father, I pray that you'll help us to have a good understanding of this text. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm calling this Heart Cries. Heart Cries. This section, David remembers. These are memories of his prayer life. And uh, for all of us, we ought to be able to look back on our lives and, of course, to have a regular time of prayer and to think back to the, to the joy that we have from being able to communicate with God. But there ought to be times that are special, where when there was a genuine need, when we felt like we were really close to God, and had found a way to communicate with Him in a very special way. So this is, this is given to His memories of prayer. We find out how He prayed in verse 145, what He prayed for. Verse 146, when he prayed in verse 147, how long he prayed in the next verse. 149, what did he pray for? What did he plead for? What happened when he prayed in verse 150? How he was rescued in verse 151. And then how he wanted to testify about the whole thing in verse 152. This whole section is about David or whoever the psalmist was. I think it was David. The psalmist's communication with God. Now, much of Psalm 119 is about how we're going to testify, what we're going to say about God to others. This text, it begins with his communication with God and then ends with what he's going to say about that to others. And these, these heart cries that we see in this text, um, the, the, a, a, a crying out heart really is the essence of prayer. So let's start with this in verse 145. I cried with my whole heart. So what did he cry? He cried, hear me. Hear me. Now, how many of you know that God hears prayer? But notice what he says here. He says, hear my prayer. Hear my prayer. 
God, I know that you hear prayer, and I know that you desire for us to pray, and I know that you answer prayer in general, but specifically right now, I need you to hear my prayer. And I think that all of us every day need God. Would you all agree with that? And I feel like the older I get and the more responsibilities I take on, the more commitments that I make, the more I realize how humanly frail I am and how much I need from God. I wish that I had recognized more of that when I was young, when I was you guys' age, or maybe in my 20s. I don't know. I think maybe until you actually experience the cares of this life that you don't really understand what prayer is. Why don't we say amen to that? When you come to a genuine need, um, you all have heard me preach uh, that sermon from Romans 8 on prayer where I give the testimony of us losing uh, Riley, our first son, when he was four and a half months old. And that, honestly, that was the first time in my life that prayer became real. You say, you didn't really pray before you got married? Somebody asked me a while back, I was on the golf course with a guy, and he was counseling young people, and he knew I was a pastor, and he said, uh, so what was the first thing you looked for in your wife? I said, pretty. (laughs) Check, mission accomplished, we did that. Um, He said, I was looking for a more spiritual answer than that. Well, you need to ask a more spiritual person that question then. Now, here's the thing where God protected me. I was in a place where people believe the way that we did, and I found out that she had a family like I had. But honestly, I wish I could say there was a lot more prayer that went into it. God was just gracious to me. The first time that I really recognized a need for prayer was when I went through that, when we went through that with Riley. Now, since then, there have been other seasons of prayer, but I I don't know of maybe one other time when, when it was that kind of intense time of prayer. And this is why when I prayed at the beginning of my message, there are some of you that are in that state, you're in that place right now. You're in that place where your whole heart, do you see that's what it says in verse 145? It says, I cried with my whole heart, with my whole heart. Have you ever been talking to your wife and she's telling you a story? And all of a sudden you hear, are you listening? Now, 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 honestly, guys, be honest. How many of you have experienced that? Raise your hands. So I'm not the only one. Hallelujah, praise God to the Lamb. Now, what is she saying? What is she, what is she saying when she says that? I, I, I want your whole heart right now. I want all of you right now, not part of you and part of the ball game, not part of you and part of the phone. For me, it would be, Part of you in solitaire. I'll be playing solitaire on my phone when I'm listening. That's my video game, guys. That's all I got. She she wants your whole heart. And honestly, when we pray, God wants our whole heart. But it's interesting. This, This is an interesting thing. Unless we're in dire circumstances, I don't know that it's genuinely possible for us to give our whole heart. It's an interesting thing. Now, let's, let's go on. He said, hear me, hear me. And then we're, we're still in verse 145. I cried with my whole heart, hear me. Who's he praying to? Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. And, and this is where, this is a really important component to this. This is not Eastern mysticism. 
This is not transcendental meditation. Grasshopper, empty yourself. Now, you should never say empty your mind to a teenager, right? It's already done. This idea, love you guys, really, I do. You girls, your minds are full of silliness. But anyway, in prayer, God never tells us to empty our mind. As a matter of fact, it's a sin to walk with an empty mind, the vanity of your mind. And so when we pray, we are not emptying ourselves. We are humbling ourselves. There's a big difference between emptying and humbling. And he says, hear me. This is, this is specifically for my need right now. There is intercessory prayer. And isn't that a wonderful thing? But there are times when I need it. And here's the beauty. The one to whom I'm praying can hear. This is not emptying myself. I'm not praying to an idol. I'm not praying to a talisman. I am praying to the creator of the universe, the sustainer of the universe, the redeemer of mankind, the one who is returning. And it's a wonderful thing to understand that the one, the object, the person to whom I'm praying is real and he's powerful. And so he says, hear me, Oh, Lord, remember, this is not meditation. There are a lot of really spiritual people. And the whole idea of modern spiritualism is emptying all of your thoughts so that you can be filled with something. And that's satanic. It's demonic. We're not supposed to give place to the devil. The Bible tells us to be filled with the Spirit. How do we do that? According to Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You fill yourself with the Scriptures. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And the one that I pray to, he's real. And so when I focus my prayer, my focus is not on my need. My heart's cry is to the one who can meet that need. And the beauty in this text, notice what it says. Verse 145. I cried with my whole heart, hear me, O Lord, hear me. Now, it is his wholehearted prayer, and notice who he's praying to, O Lord. It goes to the Lord alone. There's no plan B. Well, if you can't help me, I'll appeal to Bill Gates. There's nobody else to go to. When you have a genuine need, when you have a sick child, when you have a relationship that it seems like, like, it's, like it's broken, when you have an emotional need, when you have something that's so real to you that money can't fix it, counseling can't fix it, only the supernatural creator of the universe can fix it. My goodness, that's when we experience true prayer. Spurgeon said, this section is given up to memories of prayer. The psalmist describes the time and manner of his supplication. 
and pleads with God for deliverance from his troubles. Now, you might want to write this down. This is a really cool thing. He said, he who has been with God in the closet will find him in the furnace. He who has been with God in the closet will find him in the furnace. Now, when it says that he prayed with his whole heart right there, he unifies his statutes. He unifies his heart around what God wants. But look look at the rest of verse 145. And I wish I could spend this whole message on, on this first verse. But it says, I cried with my whole heart, hear me, O Lord. Notice, I will keep thy statutes. This isn't David bargaining with God. God, if you'll answer this prayer, I'm going to give you 90% of my income for the rest of my life. You know, have you ever noticed, heard somebody bargaining with God, trying to make a deal with God? That's not what this is. What David is saying is his reason for praying for deliverance was so that he might be free to fulfill his faith. Isn't that what, how, how the Apostle Paul prayed? He, he said, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord might have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we might be delivered from wicked and unreasonable men, for all men have not faith. He wanted that deliverance, not for his own personal good, but so that he could preach the word of God, and the word of God could change people's lives. He said, I'll keep your statutes. Remember what those statutes are, our ten words? Those statutes are those things that are engraved in stone. These things that God has laid down that we are to believe and to practice and to preach. And David said, help me. He's crying to the Lord. And he says, and I'll keep your statutes. Lord, let me, uh, please free me so that I can serve you. Then look at the next word, the next verse. And again, it's another I cried. Do you see that? I cried unto thee. Again, the the one to God. Remember that the T's are singular, right? Ye and you, that's plural. Thee and thou, that's singular. He says, uh, I cried unto thee. What does he cry? Everybody, what's he cry? Not a whole lot of words there. You know when we're in stress, or when we're in distress, it's not wordy. Some of you are wishing that I was in distress right now and this sermon would shorten a lot. When we are in distress, help! Right? It's not, um, excuse me, old chap, I, I think that my life is about to end. It's help. Save me. And I got to tell you, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, that's the one thing you need to pray right now. Save me. Save me. That, that's it. Jesus saved me because he's the only one who can. Why? Because we're sinners. We can't save ourselves. If we could save ourselves, then Jesus didn't need to come and die on the cross. We are sinners. And the penalty for being a sinner is death in hell forever. Separation from God. Why is hell so bad? Because it's the absence of God. It's the absence of God. And remember, all that's good in the world comes from God. And so when you choose a life apart from God, you are choosing an eternity completely separated from anything that's good. Man, when I go to hell, I'll be there with all my friends. There is no friendship in hell because friendship comes from God. There's no joy 
There's no fun. There are no parties in hell. It's horrible. It's horrible. It's awful. And it's what we deserve. And that's why we say to God, save me, please. Have you ever done a home improvement project? And you realize there's a reason people get paid for this? And then you call someone who knows what they're doing. And you say, help me. There's no one more humble than a man who has messed up a home improvement project with someone there who knows what they're doing that is not their wife. <laughs> it's, it's fun. Ed Berman told me this there in Florida this weekend, but he worked with Kevin some on the wall in the fellowship hall. And no, that's not for axe throwing, Chad Hollinger. And every time I work with Kevin, I learn all these little tricks. So like he was putting one of those pieces of wood up and there was a, a Tapcon screw from the plywood that was sticking out and that piece of wood was going to stick out. And he took his Sharpie out and, and put a bunch of that ink on the, on the screw and then pushed the piece of wood against it real fast. So then all he had to do is dig out that little bit behind that board. Now, how many of you would not have known how to do that? You would not have known how to... That's what's awesome about being around somebody who knows what they're doing. That, that is fantastic. For the needs that we're talking about, God is the only one who knows what he's doing. He's it. He's the one. He's the only one that we can cry out to. And the only thing he asked for was salvation. Now notice what it says again in verse 146. I cried unto thee, save me, and I shall keep thy testimonies. Again, this is his... He did, when he's praying, he desires a blameless life. And then he's going to keep the testimonies. What are the testimonies? Those are those statements of truth, statements of what God has done. It's the facts. And so now here's the thing. This is, this is so right. He wants to be right in the head so his hands can do right. There are a lot of Christians who think they're doing right, but they're actually sinning because they don't know what the Bible says about how they're supposed to work. Amen? And so he's saying, save me, teach me your statutes so that I can work right and do right. He wanted to be a witness for God, sound in head and clean of hand. The other thing that I want you to see, look, look at what it says in verse 146. I cried unto thee, save me, and I shall keep thy testimonies. David had no idea of salvation that would allow him to live in sin or to abide in error. Now, I want to be really clear. How many of you know Old Testament salvation and New Testament salvation are not the same? Right? Now, praise God, we know so much more about the grace of God and about the payment for sin than David ever knew. I think he knows now, but when he was alive, he didn't know that. And yet, for us, the idea that God saved us so that we could be wicked... What did the Apostle Paul say? God forbid. God forbid. We don't work to get to heaven. Hallelujah. And once you're born again, there's nothing you can do to lose that salvation. But does that mean we're free to sin? God forbid. The purpose of the Christian life is Christ-likeness, and Jesus Christ was no sinner. Now, look at verse 147. I prevented the dawning of the morning and cried, I hoped... In thy word. Now, notice, this is the third time he mentions crying in his prayer. He cried and cried and he cried. In his prayer, 
And I prevented the morning. He's before the morning. He got up early before the sunrise. The need was so great that he was willing to invest in prayer. Um, Listen to this. This is Spurgeon again. His prayer was a sincere, plaintive, painful, natural utterance as of a creature in pain. And we'll see he uses his voice in a minute, but back to Spurgeon. We cannot tell whether at all times he used his voice when he thus cried, but we are informed of something which is of much greater consequence. He cried with his heart. Heart cries are the essence of prayer. He mentions the unity of his heart in this holy engagement. His whole soul pleaded with God. His entire affections, his united desires, all went out towards the living God listen to this it is well when a man can say as much of his uh, say as much as this of his prayers it is to be feared listen that many never cried to god with their whole heart in all their lives there may be there may be no beauty of elocution about such prayers no length of expression no depth of doctrine nor accuracy of diction but if the whole heart be in them they will find their way to the heart of God. Man, that is so good. Okay, so let's keep going. So notice what he says in verse 147. I prevented the dawning of the morning and cried, I hoped in thy word. Now, I want you to focus on that, I hoped in thy word. Hope is a very powerful means of strengthening our prayer. Do you know why many people don't pray when they're in trouble? Because they have no hope in God. They really do have no hope in God. Who would continue in prayer if he had no hope that God would hear him? But listen to this statement right here. Everybody wake up for just a second. You can go back to sleep right after this. This is, this is so good. Listen to this. Who would not pray if he truly believed in an almighty hearer? If right now, any car fans here, you like, you like cars, could be classic cars, you know, maybe an old Barracuda or an old GTO or maybe you like a Ferrari. So if you knew, you're like an old pickup truck that's been restored. And I want a resto mod so it looks old and drives new. It'd be awesome. And I knew that Bill Blakely had one of those. And if I just asked him, he'd give it to me. How many of you, if you knew that Bill Blakely had a a, a cool old car that's been restored and all you had to do is go up and ask him, how many of you would ask? Seriously. (laughs) Dan knew was the first one back there. (laughs) How many years have you been working on your truck? How many years have you been working on your truck? 30 years, okay? So Bill has it done. If I really wanted that, I would definitely go and ask him for it. If you had a sick child, and you knew there was one, who if he chose to, could heal him, would you go? See, I don't know what your issue is that you're dealing with right now, but if you're human, 
and you live in the world, the Bible says that it's just full of trouble. Do you really hope in the hearer? Now, I'm no expert in prayer. You know, some guys devote their whole ministry to it. But I think that might be the most important part. Other than actually praying, I think that hoping in the hearer might be the most important part. I don't know where you are right now in your life, but if you're in that place, I want to give you hope today. He loves you, and he cares, and he does want to hear you. Now, let's go, let's go on. Look at what it says. Oh, this is so good. Verse 48. Mine eyes prevent the night watches, so they're before the night watches, that I might meditate in thy word. So now he's not talking about missing sleep to pray. Now he's talking about missing sleep to think about God's word. Missing sleep to think about God's word. Now, I know that many of you, your day is very full. Um, Jeff Bradshaw, he runs a, a business and his days are full from early morning until late in the evening. I've watched him. You, you, you can't be with him without him checking an email or answering an email. And it would be very difficult to meditate on Scripture while you're dealing with designing a machine for the space shuttle or something. You know, that's the kind of stuff that he does. It's crazy. He doesn't look very smart, but <laughs> it, it, it's cool, the stuff that he does. I know you're thinking, Pastor, why is there always an insult that follows the, the praise? I don't know, but it's fun. So when is, if, if someone like Jeff, and many of you are the same way, your job is very thought intensive and your, your mind is focused on that, um, when are you going to think about the scriptures? Hasn't Satan done a good job of, of establishing a world system where our mind is always occupied with something other than the Scriptures. Um, I, I just, as a pastor, maybe just as a man, I have to find time alone. I have to find time away from the phone, away from the computer, away from my family. I have to find time alone to meditate on God's Word. And honestly, this message, this, this text, and this is why studying a text is so profitable, even for the preacher, maybe especially, I've not been meditating on God's Word enough. I, I want to think about it. That's what it means. It's, it's not to empty your mind. It's to think of, have an object in your mind to think about. And that is the Word, and that's what, that's what the psalmist was doing. He, he didn't go to sleep at night because he was thinking about God's Word. I wonder when the last time that happened to us was. When's the last time that you couldn't sleep because you're thinking about the Scriptures? And I'm sure for many of us that has happened, but when? Is that something recent? See, when you have a genuine prayer life with your whole heart and you're believing His Word with your whole mind, now your heart and mind start to come together and now your will gets involved and you are able to focus on His Word. I think that's something that we all need. Could you all say amen to that? Look at our next verse. This is so fun. Hear my voice, verse 149. Hear my voice according unto thy loving kindness. According unto thy loving kindness. Um, I, I want to read you something that 
Spurgeon said about this. It's so fun. Men, uh, he, he says this, according to thy loving kindness, when God hears prayer according to his loving kindness, he overlooks all the imperfections of the prayer. He forgets the sinfulness of the offerer, and in pitying love, he grants the desire, though the suppliant be unworthy. It is according to God's loving kindness to answer speedily, to answer frequently, to answer abundantly, yea, exceeding abundantly, above all that we ask or even think. Wouldn't it have been cool to have Spurgeon as your pastor? This is every Sunday. This is his sermon. Now listen, loving kindness, I love this, loving kindness is one of the sweetest words in our language. Kindness has much in it that is most precious, but loving kindness is doubly dear. It is the cream of kindness. Look at the text again. Hear my voice according to thy loving kindness. Lord, please don't answer me in your justice. Don't hear me in your righteousness. Please hear me in your loving kindness. Because that's the only way you'll ever be able to hear someone like me. He just loves us. Have you ever looked at somebody, a married couple, and this guy just drives you crazy? Just absolutely you're thinking, this guy, what in the world? And his wife's the sweetest thing in the world and pretty and what is she doing with this loser? I know y'all think about that Laura right now, yeah? And then you hear her talk to him and you realize she loves him. Why? I don't know. Love is a many-splendored thing. I don't know. But what happens is because she loves him, she overlooks all of those personality foibles or, or the, the way that he speaks or carries himself. When God answers us, as, us in his loving kindness, it's so good. He takes us right where we are. Now, I, I feel like I always need to add this. God does take you right where, he are, where you are, but he doesn't want to leave you there. Amen. He wants to elevate you. And I think that prayer and heart for him will do that. Okay, let's move on. Look at what it says, verse 149. Hear my voice according unto thy loving kindness, O Lord. Quicken me according to thy judgment. Quicken me according to thy judgment. Here's what we need when we are really in trouble. We need life from God. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We need life from God. We need life that we don't have. God, I can't take anymore. God, I can't do this. Where I am right now, I can't go any farther. I'm done. Remember the Apostle Paul? For I am caught in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. But then he says, for your sakes... I'm going to abide. How many of you are thankful the Apostle Paul stayed? We have the writing that God gave him in the Scriptures. You see, we can get to the end of our rope. Uh, Laura and I will say we get to a place sometimes where, where we've made it as far as we can. 
Um, Eric, your dad would say to me, he'd get to a place where he couldn't breathe deep anymore and he knew it was time to get away for a little while. He said he'd go, and he couldn't get a deep breath because of the stress of people's lives in your hand, you know? We can all get to the place where we think we have no more strength. Whose strength is made complete in weakness? Those who follow Christ. And notice what he says. I think that this is such an interesting juxtaposition. When I think of the judgments of God, I think of the negative judgments of God. Right? If you're a sinner, you're going to hell. God determines this to be sin, this to be wickedness, this to be an abomination. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Another judgment of God is, if you do this, I'll bless you. And so what he says is, quicken me according to your judgments. God, I've come to you. I've come to you with my whole heart. I've prayed for you to save me. Give me life according to your judgment. What is his judgment for a believer? When you come to Christ and say, save me, what is his judgment? Not guilty. Not guilty. Listen, he doesn't wait to see. You know, uh, uh, Corey comes and says, here, come here. Corey comes and says, look how tall. He comes and says, save me. So it'd be like a job application for us. Right? What's your training? What are you able to do? What are your plans in the long run? If I invest in you, where do you plan to be in five years? Right? Job interview. How many of you are thankful? Thank you, Corey. How many of you are thankful that that is not salvation? Right? Pam says, uh, God, save me. And God says, well, wait a minute. Let me look down in time and see how your behavior is going to be until the end. You know, the Calvinist says that if you don't endure to the end, you are never really saved. There's going to be a lot of Calvinists that get to heaven and go, boy, there's a surprise. I'm so glad that God saves us on his judgment, not on mine. Not on mine. Praise God. Okay, I can keep going. I gotta keep going. All right. Y'all quit distracting me. Here we go. Look at what it says. Verse 150. They draw nigh that follow after mischief. They are far from thy law. He's hearing the footsteps of the pursuers. God, they're getting close. God, these people that want to end me, these people that want to steal my faith, these people that want to stop me from serving you, they're getting close. They're drawing near. And what does the Bible say about us? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw nigh to God. He'll draw. Just get close to God. How many of you see that's the whole heart thing again? That's the whole heart. So they draw nigh that follow after mischief. They're far from thy law. Um, one of the things that, that I like about this a mischievous life cannot be an obedient one. A mischievous life cannot be an obedient one. Now, again, look at what it says. They're far from thy law. Verse 151, thou art near, O Lord, and all thy commandments are truth. They are near, O God, and all thy commandments are truth. Virtue is truth in action. And this is what God commands. Sin is falsehood in action, and this is what God forbids. Can I read that again? I think this is a really good way for us to look at it. Virtue. Remember, add to your faith virtue. Virtue is truth in action. So you believe it by faith, now do it. Virtue is truth in action. This is what God commands. Sin is falsehood in action. This is what God forbids. 
So notice again, thou art near, O Lord, and all thy commandments are truth. So what have we seen? Those statutes. I'm going to keep them, those things that you've engraved. I'm going to keep your testimonies, those truths that I've learned that saints have lived out through all these years. Um, I have, in verse 147, I have hoped in thy word. That's the written word of God and the spoken word of God. And it says, I will meditate in thy word. That meditating in thy word, that has to be the written word. And then he says, quicken me according to thy judgment. In verse 149, that judgment which is declared in the Bible, quicken me according to those things that you have said. And then the mischievous people, they're far from your law. They they hate your law. They're far from it. I want to be close to what you have told me to do, even though we're not under the law. For David, he needed to be. Then thou art near, O Lord, and all thy commandments are truth. Everything that God tells me to do is true. If God tells me to be faithful to my wife, that's good. If God tells me not to look at something, that's good. If God commands me to give the gospel to somebody else, regardless of the consequences, that's good. And it is all true. It's all true. Verse 152. Concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. Now, this is is a fun thing. David found of old that God had founded his testimonies of old and that they would stand firm throughout the ages. Charles Spurgeon, you know, something that would be interesting for you to see is is to read about the downgrade controversy. I think he called his famous sermon on that the, the, the church in the down, on the downgrade or something like that. And what happened was there was a group of Baptist churches in England called the Baptist Union And liberalism, this is in the 1800s, liberalism had started coming in to the Baptist churches. And most historians or pastors, when they talk about the downgrade and how Spurgeon stood against it and he left the Baptist Union, what they don't tell you is that Spurgeon had a college, a pastor's college. The pastor's college went with the Baptist Union. They rejected the preacher. And he was really left alone. And his wife believed it's what really led to his death. So I'll be 58 in May. That's how old Spurgeon was when he died. Didn't live very long. And it was a terrible time. And the, the man that was the head of the Baptist Union at that point, his name was John Clifford. John Clifford was a full-blown liberal, didn't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. And, and that kind of preacher was allowed to lead other preachers. And so Spurgeon was trying to take a stand against that. And so in this sermon, he says, um, it is sweet to plead the immutable promises with an immutable God. When you pray God's word and its truth, I am praying something to God that is absolute truth to the one who is absolute truth. The unchanging word of God to the unchanging God who wrote the word. And it is, a, it is a blessing to do that. Um, so, it was because of this that David learned to hope. A man cannot have much expectation from a changing friend. Young people, have you experienced that? You're a friend with somebody and all of a sudden they're not your friend anymore and they, they change what they like or what they're doing. It's, it's horrible. The Bible says confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a broken tooth or a foot out of joint. When you bite down on that broken tooth, it's horrible. When you step down on that dislocated ankle, it's, it's brutal. 
trusting an unfaithful person is that way. Spurgeon says, he says that um, a man cannot have much expectation from a changing friend, but he may well have confidence in a God who cannot change. It was because of this that he delighted in being near the Lord, for it is a most blessed thing to keep up close intercourse with a friend who never varies. Now listen, this is the downgrade. Let those who choose to follow at the heels of the modern school and look for a fresh light to break forth, which will put the old light out of countenance, we are satisfied with the truth, which is as old as the hills and as fixed as the great mountains. Let cultured intellect invent another God, more gentle and effeminate than the God of Abraham. We are well content to worship Jehovah, who is eternally the same. Things everlastingly established are the joy of established saints. Bubbles please boys, but men prize those things which are solid and substantial, with a foundation and a bottom to them that will bear the test of ages. You know the thought I had in that? I like bubbles. Do you get the point? Can you tell that this section of eight verses, these are the cries of a full-grown believer. This is a person that knows God, that has faced trouble, and who believes that the one he's praying to will hear. Even though the world's a mess, he doesn't judge his God based on the faithlessness of the people around him. He understands that men are fickle, that friends will change and they will leave you, but there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. The question for you today is where you are, where are you in this? Some of you are in this right now. You, you are crying out to God with your whole heart. I want to give you hope today that the hearer is the God who created everything. And I want those of you who have not really experienced trouble yet, and that's most of you, I want you to keep this in your mind for when it comes. Now, notice I didn't say if it comes. It's coming. It's coming. Cheer up. Life's going to get really hard. But man, we have a great God who will not change. It's wonderful to pray immutable promises to an immutable God. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these verses. Lord, help us to realize that your testimonies are of old, that I've known them all my life, but I realize that they have stood since the foundation of the earth.